how's it going? This I'm is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub. I hope you're having a nice time on this fine, whenever the heck it is you're listening. A few days ago, I recorded a episode of The Math of You, where I was a guest, and it was a ton of fun. If you haven't listened to The Math of You, you should. It's a wonderful podcast where a different guest each week is interviewed about a formative media from their youth. I got a chance to talk about the radio show The Bob and Ray Show, which is a favorite of mine, and just a ton of other stuff. So yeah, you should totally check out that podcast. I'm not sure when my episode's coming out, but they're all good, so listen to them all. Okay. The host of that show, Lucas, lives in Australia, and so we did the interview over Skype. It got me thinking about Australia. One of my coworkers recently had some house guests staying with her from Australia, and she was telling me that one of them came home late one night and was super weirded out by a local animal that she had seen. And my initial reaction was, wait a minute, you're from a place where platypuses allegedly live. I'm still not convinced they're real. I'm only 70% on Australia being real, but you don't get to be weirded out by our animals. And then I was like, no, no, you know what? They're coming from a different place, so our animals probably seem strange to them, just like their animals are legitimately strange to everyone else. And so I was like, hey, what animal was it? And she's like, it was a possum. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, yes, possums are freaky and scary, but for an Australian to be freaked out by a possum, that's the one marsupial that we have. Like, it's the only North American marsupial. It's like we only have that animal to placate Australians who might be visiting, to like ease them into our ecosystem. Okay, I know these things all seem weird, but look at this fella. He's got a little pouch. So... I don't know. I guess the takeaway from this is that possums are North America's only marsupial. Well, on the off chance that you started listening to this podcast to hear a comic book be discussed, and not for animal fun facts, we got a comic book to discuss. So, without any further ado, let's ado this. Having some trouble accessing my email right now, so uh, I have to come up with my own synopsis rhyme. All right. Uh... This is a imaginary discussion with my friend Chris in which I am explaining the conceit of the band The Hanson Brothers. The Hanson Brothers didn't perform Mbop, Chris. It's no means no's homage to Slapshot. That's their synopsis. Synopsis. I mean, Chris, it's not a great synopsis because it's really more no means no's tribute to the Ramones via the characters in the film Slapshot. But that didn't really fit the meter. So, New Teen Titans, number 20, July 1982. Dear Mom and Dad. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Teen Titan Roll Call. Kid Flash. Wonder Girl. Beast Boy. Starfire. Cyborg. Robin. Raven. Dear Tighten Up the Defense listener. Wally West is having a quiet, reflective moment. He is thinking about how much he loves his parents. Aww. He's also thinking about how great it is that he is normal. You know, straight, white, Midwestern, middle class with two parents who assume traditional gender roles. Well, his teammates are a bunch of weirdos. You know, not those things. The junior wizard of Wiz is so grateful to his parents for bequeathing him the privilege of an identity he never has to question that he decides to sit down and write them a letter about the Titan's latest adventure. Keen. 
an epistolary story, like Dracula or Dear Mr. Henshaw. Am I the only one who sometimes mixes those books up? You know, Jonathan Harker corresponds with Mr. Dracula and talks about his parents' divorce, and Mr. Dracula tells him that if he wants to be a real writer, he must sleep in a box filled with his native Transylvanian soil. You know, people sometimes ask me, what's the secret to a successful podcast? I always have the same answer. Beverly Cleary Deep Cuts. Don't give him that Ralph S. Mouse shit. You gotta go Otis Spofford or deeper. Anyway, Wally's letter to his folks starts off, as most great stories do, with a flashback to events that the alleged narrator was not present for. Cyborg and Beast Boy were traipsing through the sewers of New York in search of a young supervillain named the Disruptor. The Disruptor had recently emerged onto the supervillainy stage in the DCU and was apparently intent on killing the Teen Titans. He had the somewhat nebulous superpower of disrupting the normal flow of things by, uh, well, he's got a red suit. Wally says that he'll explain how the Disruptor got his amazing powers later on in the story, but spoiler alert, he doesn't. When Beast Boy confronts the crimson-clad criminal, the Disruptor uses his vague nonsense abilities to first disrupt Gar's shape-shifting ability, and then disrupt the green teen's blood flow. Shit. Cyborg hears his little green buddy screaming from the pain of his either heart attack or stroke, and rushes to the rescue, only to have his own ability to control his cybernetic parts disrupted. Vic collapses into the sewer water, unable to move. Despite his potentially nigh-omnipotent, ill-defined bullshit powers, the Disruptor seems insecure and uncomfortable in his role as a villain. After defeating the duo of do-gooders, the nebbishy novice ne'er-do-well assumes that his victims will drown and scampers out of the sewer, announcing his plan to report his success to his father as he does so. Fortunately, the Disruptor underestimated Beast Boy's unprecedented ability to recover from implausible power-inspired infarctions. Gar digs deep, turns into an enormous crawfish, rescues his robo-buddy, and even manages to bust out a claw-based pun. Not bad for a dude who probably had a heart attack 20 seconds ago. Later on, back at the Titan Tower, Gar and Vic towel off and fill their teammates in on the details of their subterranean scuffle. Robin shares that he feels dumb, both because he hasn't caught the Disruptor yet, and because he's been hanging out with his dad Batman lately, and that always gives him an inferiority complex. Later that evening, the gang throws a surprise office party for Cyborg's 19th birthday. Hooray! Happy birthday, Vic! Wally tells his folks that it was a really fun party and everyone had a good time. Except that shit was super awkward between him and Raven, so she skulked off. And Vic got really weird when he heard that Sarah Sims, the pretty blonde teacher lady that he definitely isn't dating and has been avoiding for the last nine issues, was trying to get in touch with him. Oh, and Starfire got really homesick because she hasn't seen her parents or brother in seven years. And Wonder Girl hates birthdays because she was abandoned as a baby and raised by Amazons and doesn't even know when her birthday is or who her parents are. But other than that, it was a really fun party, and everyone had a good time. There was cake and everything. Wally sneaks away from the party to eavesdrop on Starfire telling Raven she is sad. Then he gets bored with that and goes outside to use binoculars to spy on Wonder Girl as she flies around. Which, again, he is writing about in a letter to his parents. Well, it turns out to be a good thing that Kid Flash is such a creeper, because he sees Donna plummet from the night sky into the East River. It is almost as if her flying ability had been... disrupted. Hmm. Wally rushes off to investigate, and sure enough, spots a nervously gloating disruptor nearby. The correspondence-creating crime fighter tries to do that thing where he makes a tornado by waving his arm around at the disruptor, but no dice. The disruptor uses his bullshit abilities to disrupt Kid Flash's... runningness, I guess? And Wally falls into the river. The disruptor once again assumes that his victims will drown, and again rushes off to tell his daddy about it. 
He jumps into a chauffeured purple Rolls Royce and is greeted by his father, who turns out to be none other than the notorious Brains Belden. Wait, THE Brains Belden? The bald dude who appeared in one issue of Detective Comics 20 years before this story came out was defeated by Batman and never heard from again? Yes, that Brains Belden. On their way back to stately Belden Manor in the East Hamptons, Brains calls his son Michael a moron for assuming that the Titans are dead. Harsh. But also, good point. Because of course the Titans aren't dead. Wally was just playing possum. Don't freak out, Australians. It's a perfectly legitimate animal. Although yes, it is terrifying. Wally used his own ill-defined implausible superpowers to counteract the disruptors, fished Donna out of the river, made sure she was okay, and has been following the Belden's home in his invisible due to running real fast and probably vibrating or something mode. And that, Michael, the disruptor Belden, is how you use your ill-defined implausible superpowers. Wally goes on to do what the Titans do best and eavesdrop on the Belden's learning that the reason Brains wants Michael to kill the Titans is so that he can join the horrible acronym-having HIVE. <sighs> the Hierarchy of International Vengeance and Eliminations, who, despite what their name would imply, are not an organization dedicated to the ranking of spicy poops, but are instead a powerful, sinister cabal who is super-duper into killing the Titans. After hearing this, Wally decides to do what the Teen Titans do second best. Kool-Aid man his way through a wall without a plan, and attack his enemies. Hooray! The spontaneous super speedster takes out the Belden's bodyguard, but then Mikey uses his disruptor thing to disrupt Wally's, well, everything. Our tale's filially pious protagonist is knocked out and awakens to find himself tied to a chair. As the elder Belden places a FaceTime call to Hive, the younger Belden uses his powers to prevent Wally from escaping. Apparently he is using his bullshit powers in a very specific way, because he prevents the young speedster from escaping his bonds and running away, but doesn't prevent him from waggling his fingers in a way that sends a tiny tornado through a closed window that creates a sonic boom right outside the Titan's tower, which signals the other Titans that Kid Flash is in danger. Huh? Oh no. Someone must be disrupting my ability to make sense of this ridiculous plot device. Anyway. The Titans burst through the wall to rescue their teammate. The distraction allows Wally to free himself, and he starts to beat up Mikey. Mikey uses his weaponized nonsense to almost kill the Titans, but then Raven steps in and does her Ghost of Christmas Future thing and shows him a vision of some super messed up shit that we don't get to see, which she says is what will go down if Mikey murders our heroes. I guess seeing Tiny Tim's grave or whatever freaks Mike the fuck out, and he collapses into a quivering heap. The Beldons are hauled off to jail. Hooray? The next day, the Titans find out that Mikey decided to take the full rap for the crimes and insisted that his dad had nothing to do with them. Brains Belden walked away scot-free. Brains then went and visited Mike in prison and told his son that he was an idiot, an embarrassment, and a failure, and disowned him. Damn, I guess there's a reason he's not called Heart Belden. Wally ends his letter by telling his parents that he loves them and pays them the enormous compliment that they are much better parents than Brains Belden is. Wow. Wally, you old flatterer, you. Robin swings by and asks if the sweet-talking speedster wants him to mail that letter he's just finished. But Wally just smiles and says that actually, he thinks he'll deliver it in person. Ah. Then we get an amazing five-page backup story where an evil scientist named Igor 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 Igorovich uses a ray gun to transport Marv Wolfman and George Perez into the DCU so that they can tell him how to beat up the Titans. The Titans show up to rescue their creators, Wolfman hits on Starfire, 
Perez jokes about how much work he makes for his inker Romeo Tangal, and it is strongly implied that editor and Defenders writer Len Wein has a sexual relationship with a stuffed panda bear. It is freaking awesome. Sincerely, America's Songbird, Hub. P.S. I hope you enjoyed this special epistolary synopsis, which I totally didn't forget was supposed to be in letter form after the first sentence. And joining me once again is my good for many things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good myself. Excellent. So, mm. what'd you think of the issue? Ah, uh, I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, but what a lot of fun. It really was. I thought that the main story was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Wasn't my absolute favorite, but still pretty good. Yep. And I loved the backup that ended the issue. That was some of the goofiest fun I have read in a long time. It sure was. I don't know if Len Wein was as excited about it <laughs> as maybe everybody else. But There is a weird running gag where maybe I couldn't figure out a way to read it where it wasn't implying that Len Wein was having a sexual relationship with a teddy bear. A panda? A stuffed pa- a panda? A stuffed bear. panda. Teddy yeah, bear. Teddy bear. Yeah. Yeah, that's named Fluffy. It was weird, but there was so much that was weird in that backup, and I could probably talk about that the whole episode, mm-hmm. but let's just get that out of the way at the top. Really fun story. You were saying you hadn't seen comic book creators write themselves into an issue to that extent before? Not that explicitly, and not with them like interacting with the characters and like having Wolfman being all gaga over Starfire. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it has happened uh, a few times. I know that uh, Elliot S. Magan used to do that a lot during the Bronze Age. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby would show up in the Fantastic Four from time to time. But hmm. this was a really fun way to do that and wonderfully self-deprecating by Marv Wolfman. I know I had harped on him for not being a ton of fun in previous issues, and man, this was so much fun. Mm -hmm. I think maybe my favorite thing that happened in the whole thing was the first panel of the backup story is the evil mad genius Igor 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 Igorovich and his henchman Boris, but he has this cork board in the background that has each of the titans pictures with a knife stabbing through their heads Mm -hmm. did you notice a little shopping list that's tacked up under their pictures no i didn't he has a little shopping list that reads eggs milk butter ray gun ketchup (laughs) that's cute yeah i thought that was really cute there's some really nice interplay i really like that romeo tangal the inker appears in this as does karen berger who is I think she was some somebody on the editorial staff at the time. She went on to be the guiding force behind Vertigo mm. imprint. But yeah, George Perez is super fun in this. There's this one scene where there's this giant lab and like Perez says something about Romeo's not going to like having to draw all the detail mm-hmm. on the background on this. And there's another panel in which he's, there is just no backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And the scientist is saying, what happened to my backgrounds? Ah, I figured Romeo could use the time off. Take 10 minutes. Have fun. Yeah. It's nice. There, There's a lot of really fun in-jokes in it, including I don't know if it's an in-joke that the main bad guy's accent keeps changing because he's clearly supposed to be like a Russian Igor Igor Igorovich and his henchman Boris. Mm-hmm. But then at one point he calls his underling stupid schwein, which is definitely a German accent. In like the very next panel, he's like, so I picked the Titans. You know, they're young. Maybe, I, maybe them I could defeat. You want I should go after Superman? Oh, he's, he's old, old And now Jewish he's an man. old Jewish man. Uh, yeah. And I, I really thought that was fun. And I don't know if that was Wolfman having fun with himself or just he, when he's unleashed, he just <laughs> keeps going from accent to accent. Yeah, that was really, really cool. And I dug it a lot. 
it made me giggle. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, too, there was Wolfman hitting on Starfire and her rebuffing him mm-hmm. was pretty funny. Also, the visual similarities between Terry Long and Len Wein. Mm-hmm. I thought he was Terry for a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like they based his visuals off of Len Wein, mm-hmm. but based his personality after Marv Wolfman. Mm-hmm. So Marv Wolfman is essentially writing himself being in a relationship with Wonder Girl. That is something. It sure is. So the issue proper? Issue proper. Pretty good. Not bad. Wally's treatise on normality at the beginning was a little... A little problematic. Yeah. I wasn't crazy about that. I like the framing device that the whole issue takes place in a letter to his parents. Mm -hmm. But if you are going to have that as a structure too, it is weird what he is choosing to write to his parents. But yeah, he starts off with this rant about being the normal guy on the team. And it's like, oh, by normal, you mean the white dude who's from the Midwest who has two parents who are not divorced. Mm -hmm. Okay, I guess that's normal. It is weird to state that explicitly and be like, oh, his other guys, they're either from space or black or Mm -hmm. (laughs) why am I the only normal guy? Yeah, there's definitely an othering going on there. Yeah, but also he is showing a lack of self-awareness in that he also describes himself as, well, if normal means generally liking things or being happy or having parents who I can love and trust, well, then I like being normal. Really? You see yourself as being generally happy because you have been a mopey dude on the fucking titan since the word jump and generally liking things is not how i would describe your recent interactions with say a russian superhero that we saw a couple issues ago or with raven you've been super moody and like kind of shitty Mm mm-hmm like, I was just thinking back to the good old syrup drinking days. Ah, oh man, see, I I missed that Wally so much, and yeah. this is not that Wally. It's showing shades of that Wally mm-hmm. in this issue somewhat, but I don't know. It doesn't totally ring true to me. And like I said, yeah, the way he is othering his teammates is kind of shit. It is. At the same time, though, his self-reflection is not unlike, I think, a lot of people's, where it's oh, so totally. much easier to dwell on this image you have of yourself. Like, I think of myself as a generally happy guy, but I know if work is stressful or whatever, right? I'm kind of a jerk about it, but I, I like to just overlook that. <laughs> yeah, but he also is saying, like, in this letter, Mom and Dad, you raised little Wally rather well, didn't you? Hmm? It is weird that his innermost thoughts are, you know what, especially compared to these weirdos, I am pretty great. Mm-hmm. Real man of the house shit here. Yep. You did well letting me use that carving knife, Dad. Yeah, that is... I always go back to how totally weird that was. It really is. I kept especially dwelling on that in this issue. (laughs) And in reaction to the Disruptor and his relationship with his dad. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, that guy's never getting the carving knife. Nope. Never. Nope. Yeah. What a mess that was. Yeah, no kidding. One other thing, just really briefly about the letter that Wally is writing to his parents. On the cover, they show that he is not only writing, but illustrating. Mm -hmm. And I really like that idea. It was just like, wait, is Wally a really good artist? And then I thought, I bet there's a lot of shit that like anything that just takes practice, Mm -hmm. I bet Wally is super good at. He just practice. Like, yeah, he can like Malcolm Gladwell that shit. 10,000 hours, you're an expert. I don't know that. Yeah, it's a thing in uh, one of Malcolm Gladwell's books. I haven't read any of them. I think maybe The Outliers. Let's say that one. 
That's oh, is he a business book? guy? No, he's not a business guy. Oh. Sorry. It's okay. You need to read a business book, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I sure do. <laughs> Gotta get my business chops up. Oh, man. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, I never want to read a business book. Oh, they're so boring. <sighs> but yeah, basically, the premise is like, expert, you do anything for 10,000 hours, you are an expert in it. But with drawing, yeah, he could probably get his 10,000 hours under his belt in like a mm. day. Mm. So... I bet he's, like, really good at, like, playing the French horn if he wants to be. I think, though, he, um, there, there's physical limitations to different media that you have to practice on, right? So if he's going that fast with the pencil and paper or pen and paper or whatever, oh, he's just going to burn holes through that shit. I bet they've got some special DC Universe artist materials. Probably. That are, like, you can use while you're running on the cosmic treadmill. Yeah. It took me a minute on the cover of that to figure out that he's holding one of those artist rubber erasers. Oh, I thought it was charcoal. I assume... you're, No, I think you're totally right. Yeah. He's using a weird pen on the, in the, not on the cover, but in the first panel too. At first I was like, wait, is he writing this letter into his parents in lipstick? That is weird. Where he's writing the first words of it, where it's dear mom and dad, which I think is the title of the issue. At any rate, I like that as a conceit, and I like the idea that he got himself good at art. It almost, now that I think about it, seems like the disruptor is a, I don't know the word for it, but like a, the opposite of Wally in this issue. Yeah, he very much is like the foil to, mm-hmm. to Wally, a counterpart. Shitty parents, uh, similar uniforms. Sure. One of those powers that if, depending on how you write it, can be completely omnipotent. Dude, I was so annoyed with the disruptor's power. Yeah, I can do anything, basically. Yeah. Or yeah, I can undo anything. Or, or not. Yeah. yeah, or which can, yeah, just do anything. It's basically the same thing. Whatever you yeah. want to do, I can undo it. It's such a cheat power. It's like when you're playing as a kid. Like if you're doing like playing cops and robbers or something. And it's like, boom, 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 I shot you. It's like, no, because I have a force field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, I'm invincible. Yeah, I'm invincible. Times and infinity. also, oh, times infinity plus one. Mm. Mm, that's still infinity you little shitty kid that i just imagined yeah <laughs> gonna grow up to be that's a big a shitty tie. kid <laughs> infinity plus one is a tie with infinity fucking moron kid i just invented yeah you're right that kid's gonna grow up to be a shitty hypothetical adult yeah <laughs> fuck <laughs> that kid <laughs> little hypothetical shits grow up to be big hypothetical shits oh boy that's a lesson we could all stand to learn <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I felt bad for the disruptor in this issue. I felt so bad for him because he is, I'm sorry to say, a nitwit. He is a total nitwit. His dad, though, his dad doesn't seem any better at this shit than he did. I think even if you're a good person, though, and you have a dad like that, you're gonna grow up screwed up. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is certainly the case. Because, yeah, his dad is an asshole. He's so mean. He's First of all, he's like a skinny kingpin. Mm-hmm. With, like, a weird-shaped head. Bald dude with the walking stick. But, mm-hmm. like, he just yeah. looks malformed, kind of. Okay, angry, ugly Yule Brenner. Yeah. See, I can't picture an ugly Yule Brenner. Yule Brenner's a handsome man. That's why I said angry and ugly. So you mean he's Telly Savalas? I was just gonna say, like, <laughs> uh, Yule Brenner and Telly Savalas had a baby. I had a, ba- a rough childhood. I'm sorry, Telly Savalas. I am mostly picturing you as Maggot in the Dirty Dozen. Yeah. And... Yeah. That is funny, huh? It's, uh, <laughs> and yeah, we have been doing this too long. <laughs> yeah, so when Wally first describes the Disruptor to his parents, he mentions, we learned how he got his powers later. No, you didn't. Or if you did, you didn't tell us about it. Yeah, what the That's hell? It's just like, 
Oh, there's an origin story behind that suit that we found out later. His dad gave it to him. Mm -hmm. That's the origin. You don't get to say that. You should not have written that sentence. Stop gaslighting your parents, Wally. Yeah. I guess that's not really gaslighting. He's just lying to his parents. Yeah. Stop lying. Stop lying. Man. Hmm. We're going to take that knife away. Mr. West is going to be cutting his own turkeys from now on. That's right. No more carving knife for you, buddy. But yeah, so we learned that the Disruptor is the son of Brains Belden, mm -hmm. whose illustrious criminal career, which his son will never match up to, was that in issue 301 of Detective Comics... Back mm -hmm. in 1962, mm -hmm. he tried to steal $20 million and Batman beat him. He said he fought to a standstill with Batman, though. What yes. does that mean exactly? Well, it means that during most of that issue, Batman was trapped in a glass case because he had previously been exposed to radiation. Oh. Then at the end, he got out and arrested Brains Belden and his criminal gang. Mm. It's not really a standstill. It was pretty much a decisive defeat for brains which i think brains may be an ironic nickname that he was given which he's unaware of yeah mm. yeah yeah that could be what a jerk oh totally my favorite nickname that people were unaware of when me and lee nicknamed that guy duke and he thought it was a cool name but we didn't tell him that it was short for marmaduke because he thought he was people <laughs> <laughs> that was really mean uh... but he never knew so was it me duke yeah. if you're listening sorry sorry buddy yeah, the dynamic between Brains and his son, Michael the Disruptor, mm -hmm. pretty shitty. And his dad's totally right. It's probably a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. I don't suspect he was well-nurtured as a child mm -hmm. by Brains or his mother, who at least according to Brains was also not the brightest, which he says in more explicit terms, which we will no doubt discuss later. Very pretty, though. Very pretty. Um. <laughs> oh, brains. So many problems. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of problems, what a shitty birthday party Victor had. How do you mean? Really? You didn't get that? Well, other than Wonder Girl getting bummed out and leaving and... And Starfire getting bummed out and going talking to Raven, who is also super bummed out. Yeah, so the girls left. But he did... Victor did have a moment where he, he got to dance. With... Uh, Beast Boy. He danced with uh, Starfire. She gave him a little kiss on the cheek. And... Right, but he was also bummed out because somebody mentioned Sarah Sims to him, who he's still avoiding. So, I, you we know got, what? I'm just... the birthday boy had a bad party. Three of the eight people who were invited to the birthday party. It's all his co-workers. This is an office party. He had an office party. We even saw that there was a sheet cake. Yeah, <laughs> it was but... an office party for his birthday. There are 19-year-olds. And only his co-workers show up, except for one of their boyfriends who's 30. 29. He's 30. <laughs> He's been saying he was 29 for a while now. That is a shitty birthday party. I'm willing to look past all of it because <laughs> Beast Boy and his crazy outfit. Beast Boy almost saved the party. I, oh. He was trying so hard, and I really appreciated that. Yep. Show up in a clown suit and turn into a chimpanzee, and then the chimpanzees were in the clown suit. Mm -hmm. That is a good time. And so happy to see Cyborg. I really enjoy their relationship. It is adorable. I really enjoy their dynamic. Yes. Even Wally can't figure it out. <laughs> well, there's a lot Wally can't figure out. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess saying even Wally. <laughs> I know. So silly. Yeah. And I guess it wasn't at the party, but Robin's also having a lot of self-doubt right now. Mm -hmm. The other thing that totally stood out to me about the party was, who signs a sheet cake? 
Oh, that's a signature. <laughs> it was really funny. I, I'm going to read the cake because it's fairly elaborate for a cake. Yeah, it was a nice spread. Yeah, there's sheet cake and there's punch. And brownies and bottles of something. Bottles of soda, I believe, which mm-hmm. are probably complimentary if they're at Donna's house. You want some free sodas? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is a sheet cake that says, Happy Birthday, Victor. With love, the Titans. Aw, <laughs> I think that's a nice cake. It's a nice cake, but do they also sign their text messages still? They don't have it. <laughs> I know, but do you think when they get older, they end up signing their text messages? They're probably of the right age, too. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still have anybody who signs their text messages? Uh, I think mom some, stopped yeah, doing that a while ago. Sometimes I want to say, say parents do it. I, I, I miss maybe, that. I always really liked it. I'm going to do a few where I just sign them with the, my whole name. I like just it. Just for fun. I, I think more people should do that. Yeah. Well, you could also just do it. So says Corey Witten. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know if I want to strange it up. Uh, that's fair. I would do that on a cake, though. Ah. Happy birthday. So, so says, says Nathaniel Hubbard. Yes. Mm. <laughs> By the eye of Agamotto. Yeah. So, you're right. Beast Boy trying so hard to make this a real party and he's dancing and he's being a real ham real uh, somebody's got to because there are potentially two people who could be having a good time at this party beast boy and terry (laughs) pretty much yeah donna's just like i hate birthday parties right i I hate hate birthdays birthdays. yeah it's the worst which i get she totally doesn't know her origin and i really like that whole thing is a callback to wonder girl's origin story which was created by marv wolfman Mm -hmm. back in the 60s possibly early 70s but i think those issues were actually late 60s i think starfire missed a golden opportunity to get right back at her with the taste of her own medicine oh totally donna it's been 19 years (laughs) you just have to get over that and be happy and live your life you're really bumming the rest of us out oh man Starfire doesn't have that kind of vindictiveness to her. She is guileless, which is one of the things that I appreciate about her character. A combination of guileless innocence and bloodthirst, I think, is pretty chill. Yeah, it's charming. What I did think was weird is, like, her heart-to-heart with Raven, where I had, like, it wasn't until the second time that I noticed it's like, oh, they had a pretty long conversation in which Raven did not say a word. I I can see, that probably happens kind of a lot. I I bet so, Uh, yeah. I mean, that's her role as an empath. Well, also, it's just like, well, this is uncomfortable, so I'll just keep talking while this <laughs> creepy girl's like, staring at me. Yeah, I can see that. And the more I say, the worse it gets, and I just have to keep going. <laughs> oh, God. I've had those conversations for sure. <laughs> I bet that's kind of the dynamic with uh, Wally and Raven. I think well, that's especially why they now, make a good couple. Super awkward. Yeah. Oh, boy. I did think it was really funny, though. Wally's description of the party was. He talks about, like, so we had this big party for Vic, where, you know, his six co-workers showed up and one of us brought their boyfriend. It was a rager. <laughs> there was cake and free soda. Yeah. Us 19-year-olds know how to fucking party. But then Raven and, oh boy, things are so awkward between us. Mom and dad. Yeah, who did? Yeah, that's yeah, not normal. Yeah, no. Well, and that, that he just goes on to go and eavesdrop on all of his teammates, which makes sense. He is a teen titan. But then just gossip about them to his parents in a letter. Yeah. Is, is inappropriate. There's there's eavesdropping, which, as you said, is kind of normal. But then there's also the, I'm going to go grab my binoculars and just go look at, yeah, oh, just hey, go look, look it's at Wonder Girl. I'm just going to stare at her for a while. <laughs> yeah, look at her go. That's not mm, creepy. Yeah, he's a real Marf Wolfman. <laughs> <laughs> so he talks about how Raven is bummed out and things are super awkward between them. And then she leaves. And then he says, but let's get back to the party. 
which was fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that phrasing of it, it, it's a separate sentence, and the which was fun is its own sentence, and it ends in a period, mm-hmm. like not an exclamation point. Just... There was something about that which really cracked me up. Yeah. It's like, let's get back to the party, which was fun. I like parties. Parties are good. They're nice. Mm-hmm. People should have them. Mom and Dad, I like parties. They are nice. The end. The end. Love, Wally West. <laughs> Put that on a cake. Love, your son, <laughs> Wally West. <laughs> yes. But then after he's like, but let's get back to the party, which was fun. There was only one person who wasn't enjoying themselves, and that was Donna. But also Raven, as I said earlier, and to an extent myself because of my odd interaction with Raven. Oh, yeah. And Vic, who is bummed out. I know. And also he's like, so Raven seems like you're not having fun. She's like, I'm not. <laughs> it's like, oh. Uh. I, no, I'm not. This oh, uh, okay. Well, see ya. B- bye. I'm going to go mingle with the, oh, shit. There's six of us. Yeah, I'm going to go get some binoculars. I'll <laughs> yeah. stand out on the balcony and look off into the horizon. <laughs> go uh, look off into the Wonder Girl. Yep. This is how I party. This is fun. That's your... Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. That was a bummer. I, I was so focused on the, the <laughs> um, chimpanzee. The, the chimpanzee in a clown suit. Yeah. And it wasn't man. a creepy clown suit either. It was like No, a really it was a really fun clown suit. Goofy. Giant shoes. Uh-huh. Giant shoes. Yeah, very poopy. Yeah. I'm super into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we talk a little bit about Raven's heart-to-heart with Starfire. Starfire misses all of her folks on Tamarind. We find out that she has a younger brother, which I don't think she had mentioned before, had she? I know she had mentioned her sister. Yeah, I don't remember. But, yeah. <laughs> nice. Thanks. Your Tamaranian accent is improving. Yeah, I try. <laughs> you just have to try harder. <laughs> Well done. I totally want to talk about Raven. That's so Raven. That could be a segment. How she does her go-to, which Raven kind of saves the day in that the Disruptor is maybe going to kill them all, although I don't have a ton of confidence in his ability to get shit done based on the previous times he assumed he had killed the Titans. He did a bad job. He did a bad job all around. A real nitwit. He's a real worthless fool. <laughs> a real brainless dolt. <laughs> he's a real embarrassment, Corey. Total Neanderthal. <laughs> it's real... a wonder he's not more. Yeah, well, and I mean, then he's going to be in prison for a number of years. It's going to be rough. It's yeah. going to be a rough go for him. And probably is not helped by Raven giving him the ravenest day-saving treatment of all, which is tapping into his brain and showing him awful shit, mm-hmm. which is kind of her go-to. And Wally's just like, Geez, did you have to be so harsh on him? Mm-hmm. Well, I get that in general, but he was actively trying to kill you right then, mm-hmm. Wally. Sorry that you think she bummed him out too much. Yeah. Could you be nicer in your non-lethal ways of <laughs> stopping people from murdering me, please? Although she is probably doing that thing where she shows him in a nightmarish hellscape surrounded by dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, to some people, they're just like, yay! And others, they're just like... Whoa! Yeah. Now there's a tiny version of me living inside my mouth as I scream. I do not like it's it. It's a visual representation of madness. Oh, the madness. Yeah. But yeah, that's her deal. The wrap up at the end is basically parents just don't understand. Except you, mom and dad, you understand. That's why I'm normal. Mm-hmm. We go give you this letter myself. Yeah. Just one last thing on powers being what they are, either awesome or, or not, depending on 
how they're written. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's able to signal the Titans by creating a sonic boom by wiggling his fingertips. Made no goddamn sense. It's pretty damn ridiculous. I was trying to figure that out. Like, the only way it would make... Okay, it doesn't make any sense, obviously. But it especially doesn't make any sense that it went through a closed window. Like, that it didn't break the window. Oh, but he went so fast it made a sonic boom. But not where he is. Mm-hmm. It sent and a perfect a, like, straight gust line. of wind that went fast enough that... Then it boomed just outside Titan Tower. Yeah. That's not how sonic booms work. That Pretty doesn't, sure. Like, it's something traveling faster than the speed of sound. And in this, I guess he was making a subsonic sound that traveled faster than the speed of sound. I was really both delighted and annoyed by that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good summation of it. Like, I liked how ridiculous it was, but I'm like, wait, but you can't. Oh, you guys, you got me. <laughs> that was fun. But stupid. It was. I like Robin a lot better in this issue. It's nice to see him being a little self-deprecating for a yeah. change. Yeah, and and also to see him through Wally's eyes and just being like, man, we always thought he knew everything and had all the answers. Like, mm-hmm. And it's weird for us to see him doubting himself. I had to look up feet of clay, shoes of clay. Feet well, of clay. Feet of clay, yeah. yeah. I We've... remember this came up before yeah. <laughs> in a podcast, and I was like, god damn it, I should remember this, but I couldn't. Okay, I don't okay. remember it again now. <laughs> I remember it was like statues that were like made of bronze but had feet of clay. Yeah, so that was like the and etymology. It's like a metaphor of, of something that is a Bible thing. Of where it came, yeah, of where it came from. But essentially, it means that somebody that oh, appears yeah. infallible but yeah. has a secret weakness. Right. Yeah, I knew. I, I knew. I thought you'd like. I knew totally what it meant, but I couldn't remember the the origin. I thought, but mm-hmm. I guess I did. Yeah. There you go. Mom and Dad, I guess you raised. Little hub pretty well. Feeling normal is all right. Am I normal? <laughs> we must have talked about am I normal on this I, before. I think so. It's, we probably don't even need to. I Except I'm going to because it came up. <laughs> Any chance I get. If there is even a possibility that someone has not seen the video from health class that I had to watch in eighth grade about puberty called am i normal in which a kid goes around and asks strangers what a good penis size is and he <laughs> talks to a zookeeper who tells him i see you came to the right place son i see a lot of penises in my line of work animal penises that is <laughs> you guys it's all up on youtube it's called am i normal and i don't know why we watched it in my health class when it clearly came out in the mid 70s and was a film strip and was basically telling us to ask zookeepers about our dicks. Well, I don't have a good answer for that. I don't. It's okay, Corey. New, New Hampshire trying to save money. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. That's probably why yeah, you okay. saw that. Yankee thrift. <laughs> yep. Well, we got a couple of videos. One of them's $10 and actually teaches kids about puberty. Uh, but we got this other one, which was retitled, Ask a Zookeeper About Your Dick. It's only 50 cents. What do you say, <laughs> like, gang? We'll, we'll take that one. <laughs> sure. That'll keep us elected, whoever we are. Yep, just wiping their hands, just like, well, that settles that. All right, these kids will be okay. That's some fine educating. On that note, you ready to get into the minutia? Let's. All right. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. 
Thanks, Rick. Thanks. So, what do you feel like starting with? Let's start with what I maybe had the hardest time with, which was there seemed to be somewhat of, and maybe it's just me, a dearth of good sound effects. Oh, I think that might have just been you because I found a couple of doozies. What ones did you like? Well, if we're excluding the backup story... Okay, which I think we have to be. Otherwise, it would just be, my favorite panel is those four pages. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite insults are everything that the evil scientist says. Yeah. But at the same time, there is one sound effect from there. Okay. Which, I okay, I won't include okay. it in the official running. What is it? It was when the kind of robot henchmen got broken, and it was if they were made of glass, because the sound it made was tinkle. <laughs> okay, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. From the real story, I think I'm going to go with the Cthum. Cthum was pretty good. I actually really liked that, and it accompanies a Kool-Aid Man moment. Mm-hmm. Which, gotta love. Yeah, pretty great. I liked that one a lot. There's a sleeper. It's on page four. And the sound effect is okay, but the illustration of the sound effect is fucking awesome. Wait, it was it happy birthday? No, (laughs) that's good too. It is Beast Boy yelling, ah, as he is in pain, but it is written out. It's so cool looking. It's just, arg, but it's Cyborg hearing it. And the reason it counts as a sound effect instead of dialogue is the way that it is illustrated is there are these descending panes of glass almost that are making like a shoom i don't know how to describe it other than a shoom there's probably a better way to do that but sound funnel sure yeah that are making a sound funnel but they are pictures close-ups of beast boy's mouth the letters ah are above that and then they're ringed by these little like sonar Mm -hmm. rings Mm -hmm. i'm doing a shitty job describing it and i'm sorry about that but then it's funneling into cyborg's ear yep And it's so cool looking and so evocative and you get the impression that Beast Boy is in so much goddamn pain. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's it's awesome. It's some of my favorite sound effect illustration that I've ever seen. It is the dopest. I didn't actually... I can see the argument for that being a a sound effect versus versus dialogue. I thought of it as dialogue, so that's why I didn't include it. Okay, I guess that's fair. It is a dope panel. Very good. Very good. (laughs) So... In the last Teen Titans episode, I talked about the fact that we're going to be phasing out, perhaps, the show-and-tell moment in favor of a segment called Timestamp. I'm kind of backtracking on that a little bit. I do want to have that as an option, but I'm going to give us the ability to call an audible. So in every issue, we will have either a show-and-tell moment or a timestamp. Show-and-tell moment we've been over many times. A timestamp, of course, is what happens when when chronology wants to display its rebelliousness and we'll get a small tattoo uh, right above its butt. <laughs> okay. No, a timestamp is a moment in the comic book. Uh, very much evokes the time that the comic book was created and uh, makes it seem dated in a very specific way. I decided to go with a timestamp for this issue, and it's a little bit of a stretch. Because it is not actually in the text of the comic book, but at the same time, it is the clearest example of a timestamp on a comic book that I can imagine. Are you intrigued? Indeed. You may not have read this because it is not in the reprint, because it is an advertisement. Which normally I would be like, that's kind of cheating, because of course an advertisement is going to be more of the time than the text of the comic book. Mm -hmm. However, there is a half-page ad for... Cube lube, which is a special (laughs) lubricant made for Rubik's Cubes. Oh my god, I didn't even know that existed. I had no idea that existed. I love this ad so much. What says 
1982 clearer than a half-page ad for Cube Lube. Yeah, that's... That is a special lubricant for your Rubik's Cube. That is about it. Yeah. Did you ever uh, peel the stickers off a Rubik's Cube to... To solve it in that way? I started to, and then I felt bad, and I, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I did the did same you? thing. Yeah. No, I started, and then yeah. I was like, oh, no, I'm fucking like, up this no, Rubik's that, Cube. Because I won't be able to put them back in the right way. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I have, have you ever solved a Rubik's Cube? I honestly cannot remember. I'm probably going to go with no. I don't think I, think I, I have. Somewhat... I think I've gotten, like, three sides, maybe, and then I was just like, no. I think there's maybe some mental math that has to have... Not, like, arithmetic, but, you know, you have to be able to think spatially yeah, about there, there's the geometry a, of there's it. There's a system to it. I, I don't, my brain doesn't work that way. Nope. I was always enchanted with the idea. I definitely had a Rubik's Cube, at least one. And Some I know people that are fast. Yeah, I know people who can do the speed solving. And it's very impressive to me because my brain does not work in that way. Well, that uh, Cube Lube probably will shave valuable seconds off their, oh, man. their time. That is probably who that is for. Mm-hmm. For speed Competitive, cube solvers. Yeah. Cubers. I wonder if that's like frowned upon. All right, he did it in 1.7 seconds, but he was Cube Lubing. Mm-hmm. That's a performance-enhancing yep, lubricant. A, it is <laughs> He's got, like, little deposits of it on the brim of his hat that he's sneaking oh, into the cube. sneaky bastard. Son of a bitch. Jesus. It's like a real, uh, real George Brett rocking the pine tar. Is that a wrestling reference? It's actually a baseball reference. Pine tar? Mm-hmm. People will put a pine tar either on the ball or on the bat to make it stickier and change the movement of the ball. Mm, that sounds sneaky, sneaky. It is sneaky. And kind of gross. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Uh, I think with George Brett, it was he was actually just using it on his bat, too, so that he got a better grip on the bat, and you're not supposed to do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I might be totally wrong about that. If I am honest with myself and you, dear listeners, and you, Corey, <laughs> um, <laughs> I am pulling the George Brett rocking pine tar reference from a sticks downy song oh well we'll have to give him a call and <laughs> see if he was yanking your chain there was i know there was a controversy that involved george brett and pine tar mm. i do not remember exactly what it was but i'm sure that brad who does the outro music to this podcast and i get emails or texts about it on a pretty regular basis i should mention it more often the outro music is by sticks downy he is currently creating music under the name of walking fuss and it's all great and you should check it out Indeed. Mm-hmm. Deep with references. Quite. So, go get some cube lube and listen to Sticks Downy and Walkin' Fuzz. Indeed. What did you have for your timestamp or show and tell? Which one did you go with? I went with a show and tell, which is near the beginning of the comic on page five, when the disruptor has frozen all poor of cyborg's cyborg parts. <laughs> oh, boy. And he can't move, and he falls in the water, and he starts drowning, and he slips under the waves of the sewer water. Sure. And uh, Beast Boy looks at him and says, oh no, the water's covering his face. It's like, dude, <laughs> he's fucking underwater. Of course it's... Yep. Oh, that must have been so nasty. Just go save him. Yeah. Wasting yeah. valuable time, Beast Boy. Mm, I think that is a fine show-and-tell moment. Thank you. Well done. Let's go with sartorially speaking next, because oh, so there's so much to cover. Right off the bat, Disruptor's uniform. I mm-hmm. like it. 
it's dope. It's a pretty simple uniform, but it also looks very like Jack Kirby New Gods to me, mm-hmm. just in terms of the piping that goes around it, mm-hmm. which hints at there being some kind of science or circuitry coursing through it, but doesn't actually say anything about it. So we still don't really know how it works, but it's cool looking. And I really like just the amount of piping around any of the like eyes and down his arms and legs and is just cool looking. And yeah, very fourth world New Godsy looking. Very and cool. I liked it. I liked it too. What else do you want to talk about, sartorially speaking? I think that Terry Long was confused about the party that he went to and thought maybe it was a theme party or something because in combination with his bright orange hair and beard, his bright white pants and popping green shirt made him look like an Irish flag. Oh, (laughs) oh, I can see that. But it was a dope look. He looked pretty, pretty smooth. Dude, that is a nice forest green turtleneck sweater. I think that is Terry Long's theme to any party that he attends is turtleneck party. <laughs> well, otherwise they might not know I'm a professor. Exactly. He probably has his jacket with the elbow pads in the... He left that in the car. In the car. Yeah. It was okay. warm out. He knows um, these guys too. He doesn't yeah, need to impress yeah, them exactly. with his jacket. Speaking of impressive, that is, there are some sweet bathrooms in this issue. I was going to talk about that too. Like, there, there are a few different ones. Or actually, I think there's two different bathrooms. Cyborg has a dope bathrobe that he is wearing after their sewer adventure. And Beast Boy is, like, wearing his towel around his head and around his waist. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Cyborg has a nice fucking robe. It's purple. I just imagine it being silk bathrobe. Mm-hmm. It really looks good on him. It also, see, it's weird to see him wearing a bathrobe. We've been over before, like, what extent his costume is just him being naked and made out of, having parts made out of metal. Mm-hmm. So... It's weird seeing, it's like, well, he's normally nude, but then he put on a bathrobe. I don't know why, but it looks good and I like it. Mm -hmm. And like, it is continuing. We see him wearing the same green peacoat slash trench coat jacket Mm -hmm. that he had on that we talked about last time Mm -hmm. in this issue. Dude is a stylish man. Yep. And I I like all about that. Dressed up for his birthday party too. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Classy look. Yeah. Even though it was a surprise party. So Mm -hmm. I don't think he dressed up for his birthday party. I guess that's, he's just... Wears nice shirts. Then. Yeah. We turned out the lights, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> that's what he said before they turned on the lights. Yeah. I wonder if he does that whenever he walks in. Like, I think the idea was he didn't know anybody was there. He's just talking to himself. Just whenever he goes in, like when he gets home from work, he's like, hey, who turned off the lights? Turned the lights on. Yeah. It was me. Yeah. I did that before I left home. Oh, man. Anyway, but we also see the nice a nice short bathrobe that uh, Wonder Girl is wearing, which mm-hmm. is a pretty good look for her. It reminds me of the robe that Mr. Jupiter wore poolside oh, when they were yeah. hanging. I mean, his was orange, but it's a similar mm-hmm. cut. Short. Yeah. It's Way above bit, the knee. Yeah, but good looks all around. Indeed. Anything else sartorially speaking you wanted to touch on? That fucking clown suit. Ah, God, I can't believe I forgot about the clown suit. <laughs> it is a dope clown suit that Beast Boy is wearing. You think he just rented it for the party? Do you think he, he probably doesn't rent? He, he probably owns. He's like, he's I am going shit. to want to wear this later. Mm-hmm. I bet he's just got a whole costume annex in his mansion. And like the color contrast, like pink and green. Oh, like, he planned that. Yeah. He planned. And... I love the idea of him changing shapes within a costume that he is wearing. So then he goes from being Beast Boy in the clown suit, which was adorable, Mm -hmm. to being a chimpanzee in the clown suit. It's really, really loose fitting on him so that he has a number of different animal forms Mm -hmm. he can change into without ruining the costume. Yep. It is well thought out. It is a good look. Got a goofy little pointy hat and 
as like a as big a, clown shoes. Yep. I would suspect that uh, Beast Boy has at least some classical clown training. Mm. He seems the type. I'm sure Robin has made him do at least some acrobatic training. Oh, certainly. But I, I mean, like, probably in his, like, acting classes. Ah. He's probably done some clown work. Some miming. Yes. Yes. Probably totally taking a couple miming. of workshops. Yeah. I bet he's, like, one of those people that, like, if you're going by a crowd and there's a performance going on, like, me, I'm going to stand at the very far outside because I do oh. not want this dude to call on me. God, yeah, that's why I will never go to a Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. But it's be, one of many reasons, but like, oh yeah, no, he's like, he'd be like pick front, me, pick me. front row center. He's like, no, 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 have, have the weird acrobatic clown sit in my lap and make fun of me. Yeah. Oh God, that sounds like the worst thing ever. It, do it they does. do that? It's ter- I think they do. Fuck. It's I'm terrifying. Never going. Yeah. Deal. Okay. Let's shake on it. All right. All right. Sorry, world. We're never attending <laughs> Cirque du Soleil because people might try to interact with us. Nope. And as I am on record saying, the fourth wall is a load-bearing wall. I would like it to be maintained. Hmm. I never want the audience to interact with the performers. That's fair. All right, done. Agreed. <laughs> next. All right. Well, next we have... Oh, boy. We got a real treat. Hmm. Let's take this party to the Bozone. Oh, jeez. Okay. Man, so many zingers in this. Mm-hmm. The Bozone is, of course, the instance of someone being called a Bozo, either literally or metaphorically. There were no literal Bozos in this issue, sadly. But, man, oh, man, does Michael the Disruptor get rough treatment from his dad. At every turn. Yeah. And not just his dad. No. From everyone. I think mostly when he gets it from the Titans, they're just agreeing with his dad, who is giving him a down dressing in front of them. Yeah, no, I started reading the issue and I was like, oh man, I'm going to write down all of the stuff that Beast Boy and Cyborg are throwing back and forth at each other. Mm -hmm. Because they have all their little fun nicknames of each other. Chrome Dome. Well, and some of them really contradict each other. Because from one word bubble to the next, Beast Boy goes from calling Cyborg Rust Bucket to Glitters. Mm-hmm. Which I actually really liked Glitters. Glitters. But we don't have time to talk about all that shit. Nope. Because That's just my lighthearted god, banter. My god. Alright, so let's go through the list of things that the Disruptor gets called. What you got? My favorite is actually the entire run on page 13 where it starts with the incompetent neanderthal and then goes on to the mom dis oh boy i'm not a failure dad i do my best i swear i do okay that doesn't mean you're not a failure (laughs) no a lot of failures do their best but michael you are an incompetent neanderthal you must take after your mother's family (laughs) she was a beautiful magnificent creature but you could pass her brains through the eye of a needle and still have room left over for woolen yarn oof Harsh. Oof. And then he goes on to talk about something that, okay, brief digression. We find out a little bit about Hive, Mm -hmm. which we had never really known who they were or what their deal was before. Apparently, it is Brains Belden's dream to join Hive because Hive is scientists who have fought uh, superheroes and been defeated by them. Mm -hmm. That's a shitty dream. Mm -hmm. And makes Hive seem a lot less mysterious and impressive. Yeah, it's basically grudge. Holding Grudge holding failures Mm -hmm. who are scientists who have lost two superheroes. That's pretty dumb. Yeah, well, he he figures that together they can be more successful. Yeah, but there really isn't a ton of successful track records they have. He's not really basing that on a ton. Mainly the thing that they have tried to do so far is to get the Prometheum 
which it turned out they were not able to, mm -hmm. and to, to kill the Titans, which they also have failed at. So, wow. Yeah, what a dream. What a dream team. Yep. <laughs> yep, they got to step up their elimination game. Yep. <laughs> step up that poop ranking game. Yep. But I'm sorry. He also gets called a brainless dolt, a nitwit, a jerk, a useless fool, and an embarrassment. Mm -hmm. Wow. Jerk was one of the most biting ones, too, because he gets in the car and he's like, Dad, Dad, I did it. He's just like, his dad's just like, you jerk. <laughs> oh, man. It's just so matter of fact. It's just such a put down. Ugh. You jerk. I would have disrupted him. You would have disrupted your own father? For calling me all those names all those years. I think there's got to yeah, be a breaking probably. point at which you just, you're like, you know what? I have the power to be like, no, you're not. Say you're a jerk. Because yeah. I have this power. Well, if nothing else, he could disrupt his, his insulting ability. Yeah. His dad would just be like, you nice young man. Oh, you're doing it, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's so satisfying. Oh, God. I would do that all the time. <laughs> I want that's that's my new dream power disruptor so, powers yeah just, just make disrupt people say anything nice things yeah well that's how I would use my disruptor power mm. just make people say nice things it's when like, they're trying to insult it's a good use yeah thank you boy any other bozone moments there are like yeah there's a ton of fun ones in the backup story i like the one instance though when the disruptor finally speaks up for himself and it's after the double nitwit where his dad calls him a nitwit and then while he's like your dad's right you are a nitwit and he's like i do not like it when you call, when my dad calls me nitwit i especially do not like it when you call me this i am gonna kill you which is fair i would maybe reverse that order i think it's probably got to be a little more biting when his dad calls him a nitwit than having a stranger call him a nitwit it is such a huge diss, though, when Wally's just like, man, your dad's right, you are a nitwit. I started thinking about, actually, the like, that word, and so, like, a nit, is that the, an that's egg? That's what chimpanzees that the would, like, uh, lays pick off it? each other and eat. So that's, the like, the lice, like, the, yeah. like a louse, like yeah. a bug yeah. in your hair? Yeah, and so, so yeah. to have the wits of one of those, yeah. ooh. That's not that's much. Not a lot of not a lot of wits. Very little to work no. with. No, and I think. Yeah, probably accurately about what uh, the disruptor's working with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, poor guy. He takes the whole rap for his dad, yeah. says his dad didn't have anything to do with it, goes in prison, and the dude comes and visits him in prison to tell him, fuck you. I never want to see you I'm again. I'm disowning you. Yeah. You don't need to tell him you never want to see him again. Just don't go visit him in jail. So bad. I'm starting to think that uh, he's not even a good dad. I know. <laughs> it's like you want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. But it's just, you can't. All I see is a useless fool who has robbed me of my greatest dream. I no longer want to know you. I no longer want to associate with you. And I no longer want to see you again. Damn. You are an embarrassment, Michael. One I can no longer tolerate. Jesus. What an asshole. Yeah. Real piece of shit, that guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite panel? I had a toss-up. Yeah? yeah? I kinda did too. What what were your toss-ups? One was sweet and whimsical, and mm -hmm. one was kind of sad. The sweet and whimsical one I called Ape Kiss. Oh yeah. That's, That's on pretty nice. Page eight, which is the aforementioned clown chimpanzee in a clown costume jumping into the arms of a completely startled cyborg and, trying <laughs> and to giving him a little smooch on the smooch. on the cheek. Yeah. Yep. Adorable. Very much so. And then the contrast to that was actually the panel that you brought up already on page four, which is the, the scream of agony being funneled oh. into um, Cyborg's ear. Was yeah, that, really graphical that is really, sound effect? I, I agree. I actually had a different scream 
one that I have also mentioned before, but it is the disruptor when Raven is given him the bad times, Juju. Oh, um, yeah. And it's this weird silhouette of his head, only it is made out of atomic <laughs> clouds. And it's a close-up of him. But also there's the tiny figure of him inside his mouth. Mm-hmm. It's really cool looking, but also really just like, oh shit, that dude is having bad times. The worst. Mm-hmm. My other favorite, though, is certainly not as whimsical as yours, but is also a Beast Boy moment. Mm. And it is when he turns into the giant crawfish and saves Cyborg from the sewer. And it was really cool. And I called, I called that panel Awful Clawful. They've both been disrupted, and neither one of them can move, but Cyborg especially can't move because his metal parts have been disrupted, whereas Beast Boy's non-metal parts have been disrupted, Mm -hmm. and I guess that's easier to recover from? Well, his blood was disrupted. Right. And then he changed forms, and then changed forms again. But I I thought they also disrupted his ability to change forms. Well, it just whacked him out of the form he was in. And then he changed to a different one. Okay, but he turns into a giant crawfish and pulls a apparently crucified cyborg out of the sewer water. And their dialogue is really cute in that scene. The cyborg says, Thank heaven! You did it, buddy! Forget it, pal. After all, I knew we'd get out of this death trap. You did? But how? Haven't you ever heard of my all-purpose escape clause? With a W clause. Yeah. Pretty great. Pretty great. I like that a few panels later, I think, at the party, he's still trying to explain that joke to... (laughs) Get get it? Get it? Yeah. That, I think, might be my... Well, no, I think the tiny man scream inside the big atomic cloud man's mouth was probably my favorite panel, but that is up there. They're really vying with each other for it. Mm -hmm. Neck and neck. And that was great. So, every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has a Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans. And every issue also has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Speedy? This was actually a big challenge for me. Yeah? Yeah. So, normally, the easiest criteria to go by for me is the behavior of yeah the teen titans to one another not necessarily their effectiveness in crime fighting or whatever right. but the way that they treat other members of the team sure and i don't know i, d- I felt like there, there was enough to go kind of go around and no real big standouts really yeah okay I, I may be missing something and in terms of going by effectiveness i was thinking well maybe cyborg because he just basically kind of got got beat up through most of the issue yeah. and frozen but it's his birthday so i don't want to pick him that's fair so instead, I went with Wonder Girl because she basically, the same thing happened to her. She pretty much spent the issue getting in trouble and then, you know, kind of sulking. But Corey, it might be her birthday. Well, that's true too. <laughs> Shit, I didn't think about that. What a coincidence that yeah. would be. Well, then we could never choose her because any day might be her birthday. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, I decided to go with Wally for the reasons that we talked about. Him being a creeper on Donna, mm-hmm. him eavesdropping on his fellow Titans, which I get, but then gossiping about them to his mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Him doing a terrible job of editing himself for his mom's benefit. Uh, he, He's he like, has mom, this... don't read this. <laughs> dad, yeah. if you're still but reading. But the part that he chooses is like, it's after he's, he's like... Then they tied me to a chair. Apparently his mom cannot hear that part, but he's fine with her hearing. 
yeah, so this guy disrupted my friend's blood and they almost died. And then I almost died in this other part. And I thought I was dead at this part, but I was just faking you out about it. Like, is his mom just like afraid of chairs or something? Mm, that could be. It just struck me as very, very odd. I don't like the way he others his teammates, mm -hmm. uh, which, which we talked about. And uh, yeah, he's straight up creeper on Donna, just spying on her in binoculars during the middle of a party. His description of the party, which was fun, when everybody seems to have had a <laughs> terrible time at the party, except for Beast Boy. For those reasons, I went with Wally as my speedy. Okay. Conversely, the Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans... In this issue, Slam Dunk Beast Boy. Am I right? You're not going to like this. I had Wally. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I miss a panel in which Wally changed into a chimpanzee in a clown suit and was the only guy even trying to have a fun party? And that's why Beast Boy is a strong runner up <laughs> oh. and contender. Okay, why did Wally win? Essentially, yes, there are problems all of which you i think outlined nicely okay outside of that this issue is a vehicle for us to hopefully see some character development and appreciate wally west as a person who's maybe growing a little bit emotionally clearly not yeah. as much as we would like but at the end of the day i thought it was very sweet that he wrote a, a letter to his mom and dad to tell them that he loved them and ran home to deliver it Okay, that that is sweet. He doesn't have a chill pun. He doesn't turn into a chimpanzee it's and not, try to save the party. It's not who's <laughs> the most likable character. If that's the case... I think he did the best job. That's like, fair. Because the other thing that Wally did in the issue was he ran into situations without planning and got himself captured. I mean, it ended up working out okay. And I granted, that is a Teen Titans general plan mm -hmm. on how you deal with a trap, recognize it as a trap, and then just walk into it and get trapped. That's, that's their MO. It's their yeah, butter. but how is it not Beast Boy? Like I said, Beast Boy is a strong contender, but... He turned he, into a giant... Like, he, he didn't fought save the, the disruptive process turned into a giant crawfish and pulled his buddy cyborg out of the sewer he did a good job he did a very good job yep and then he had to towel off yep he did a good job i'm not changing my choice but all right i, I don't you don't, I don't you disagree don't have with to you. but you should <laughs> take it easy i know Thank you, you didn't like what i said but I'm well sorry. i'm Corey, how many of me are you seeing right now oh two because you're beside yourself okay fine <laughs> yes <laughs> so thanks to the generosity of our patreon donors we have brought back Wapoot. what's aqualad probably up to mm. cory june of 1982 Wapoot. yeah so what aqualad is probably up to mm -hmm. is scouring the aisles of every pharmacy that he can find why looking for some sort of a medication or prophylactic or something to protect his ear holes. What's wrong with his ear holes? He went to see the fucking Wrath of Khan. Oh! Which premiered <laughs> in June of 1982. And he is he's now... He's gonna put ear condoms on because he's afraid of he ear He is fucking obsessed <laughs> with those creepy little bugs that Khan put in the ears of his enemies. That is understandable. And so the poor guy is just... Literally going through the aisles of the Walgreens, picking up packages and throwing them behind his back and muttering under his breath, oh, that's not going to do it, that's not going to do it. He's having a bad time, man. Oh, man. And that's what he's up to in June? That's what I got. Okay. Well, you're right. That is one of the things that he is up to. He has enjoyed a couple of movies this month. I don't know if enjoy is necessarily the right word for his... Uh... <laughs> 
It was good up until that point. Right. Well, that, that happened in, like, the opening scene. Oh, was, that, was it? I think so. <sighs> Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. Pretty great. Scary man. Yeah. Because he was very impressed with The Wrath of Khan. Mm. He also saw a movie, little movie called E.T. And it spoke to him in that he was like, yeah, that is some quality parenting. That's the kind of parenting <laughs> that Aquaman would have done for me. It made him nostalgic for his own childhood. Specifically the part where the mother thinks that her seven-year-old drank all of the beer in her refrigerator, mm-hmm. does not believe him that he didn't, but is just like, eh, whatever. Right. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's the kind of shit Aquaman would have done. I want to see this movie. You know what? Everybody in Atlanta should see this movie. Mm. So everybody in Atlantis did hop on out of the ocean and oh. go see that movie. Did, was there a consequence? There were a couple of consequences. One was E.T. being the smash hit that it was. <laughs> the other one was having all of those warm-blooded Atlanteans out of the ocean significantly lowered the temperature of the ocean, and the South Pole recorded a record low temperature of negative 117 degrees Fahrenheit on June 23rd. And that is Wapoo. Nicely done, sir. I, I really wanted to use that negative 117 degrees figure. I found it on the internet and I could not figure out how to work it in. So it's yeah. Good job. Well, and I got to work in one of my favorite things to talk about, which is what a terrible mother that was in E.T. It was the days before helicopter parenting. Yeah, the kind when you assume your seven-year-old has a has a drinking problem, but whatever, what I'm late. Do? You're not a doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read or somebody told me that that scene wasn't originally part of the script and that the, the actor that was in the E.T. suit actually had a, like when he's stumbling around. Was having and, an allergic his, reaction to something. Something was like happening where, where like they didn't expect him and he was like falling over, but they just kept filming <laughs> Jesus. And then they worked in later this drinking scene. I don't know if that's true or not. Oh, boy. But, like, some of the special effects guys are actually worried about the... Filmmakers are just monsters. Is it true? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's true that filmmakers are monsters. Many of them. I don't know any. Yeah. I guess the ones that I know aren't monsters. Well. Mm. (laughs) We'll see. We'll never know. Yeah. Well... This was a lot of fun. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. We will be back next week with a Defenders issue. I'm still actually a little on the fence as to which issue it's going to be. We're at the point where we need to start hitting the giant-sized Defenders if we're going to cover those. So we'll either hit a giant-sized Defenders. Those may be a bonus goal that we do. We may be hitting them later. Or we will hit Defenders number 15, which looks pretty cool and Professor X is in it. Mm. Uh, and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So either way, it's going to be a a fun Defenders episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we will be back in two weeks with a new Teen Titans issue that we are promised will feature the debut of Brother Blood, Mm. who is a very important Titans villain. So Mm. either way, got some stuff to look forward to. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was a real hoot. If you would like to send us an email, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can listen to us on iTunes and subscribe there and leave us a review, which would be great. That would help people find the podcast. And that is a nice thing to do. 
You can also give us some money if you would like. You can do that at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. And yeah, I look forward to hearing from you. This was a hoot. Can't think of a catchphrase right now. Uh, Kathum. Kathum is nice. Nitwit. (laughs) You guys aren't nitwits. You're all right. Throwing some uh, Hawaii Five O into the mix. Yeah, but I was like harmonizing. Oh, it's nice. It was pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are truly a pair of America's songbirds. Oh shit! Wow. <laughs> yep. You gotta pick more for a matched pair, mm-hmm. America. <laughs> pay up. <laughs> we will work for whiskey. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm still waiting for that sweet, sweet Arby's cash to start rolling. <laughs> I don't know if they liked your aspirational hat jibe. Well, I didn't like their aspirational hat. Tough but fair. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Rick.